We're going to be in the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 8 today. So if you have your paper version of your Bible or your online version Bible app, I encourage you to take that out. If you are following along on the app, make sure to click that More tab, then Events, and you can find us there, Hillside Missionary Church. Thanks. We've been in this for a number of weeks, and Jesus, at this point, all throughout chapter 8, we've been in chapter 8 for about three or four weeks now, but all throughout chapter 8, what Jesus is doing with his disciples is he's preparing them to send them off. You'll notice if you have a Bible in front of you, you'll notice in chapter 9, Jesus actually sends his disciples off to go build his kingdom without him. He's been training them, and this is the last thing that he's going to train them in, and it's a situation where people respond by faith. Now, we've talked about that for a number of weeks now. We've talked about how people are responding to Jesus in faith. Jesus gave them the parable of the sower. If you remember, about four weeks ago, we talked about this, how he gave them the parable of the sower, and he said, hey, there's going to be different ways that people respond to me. Then he puts the disciples in a situation where they're in the middle of the storm. They're in this rocky storm and they don't know what to do. And they go to Jesus and they freak out. They're going, hey, we're going to die here. You got to do something here. And he goes, hey, where is your faith? And then last week we talked about the demon-possessed man, that Jesus with his disciples, he gets off this boat. He's in Gentile territory and he runs into this demon-possessed man. And the demon-possessed man responds out of faith, but everybody else in the town freaks out. They don't like what Jesus is doing, and so they force him to leave. They're back on the boat. They get to the other side, and they're back with the Israelites. And the Israelites, they're just crowded around Jesus. They're excited to have him back, and they're pressing in around him because they want things from Jesus. And we're going to meet a couple of people who are in very desperate situations. Take a look with me, if you will. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. This is what it says. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone from me. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came out and said, Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him, except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but she is sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Taking her by the hand, 
he called saying, child arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. We're going to talk about this and what this means for our lives. But as always, before we do that, let's just go before God. Let's ask him for his help with that and uh, ask him to truly transform us. Let's, let's pray. God, again, we just thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that it's perfect and that's authoritative and that we can rely on it. And that we can trust it. And that we have this basis to live our lives on. Jesus, we thank you for that. God, as we, as we talk about this, I just pray that, God, you would really help us to have it impact our lives. That, again, we wouldn't just leave here completely unaffected, but that, God, we would look less like us and more like you. And that we could leave this place and we could serve you better and we could glorify you better and we could tell people about you better than when we came in. It's in your precious, life-saving name we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, have you ever made a bad decision? Of course you have, right? I mean, everybody makes bad decisions, some of us more than others, but we all make bad decisions all the time, right? I could tell you so many bad decisions. In fact, in college, I bought a quarter of a million Iraqi dinar. Why? I don't know. I was a college kid, right? I mean, it was just stupid, but I did it, right? We all make bad decisions constantly in life. And some decisions are like, all right, you went through the drive-thru, you got the wrong hamburger, right? That's not the end of the world. But other decisions are really, really bad. Sometimes we make financial decisions that affect us for the rest of our lives. And we look back, we go, man, that was just so dumb. Why, why did I do that? Sometimes we can make relational decisions. We can say things to someone that we could never take back. Sometimes those decisions haunt us. You ever just been doing something, maybe you've just been working on your computer just at work and you're typing away and then all of a sudden you go, man, why did I do that 40 years ago, right? You just have these like invasive thoughts and you're like, why did I say that? Oh, that's so cringy and ah, I just, I don't know why I did that or why I said that or why I bought that. We make decisions and so many times they haunt us. Here's what I find when we make the worst decisions and that's when we feel desperate. You ever have your car break down and you're like, man, you know what, I got to get to work. And if I can't get to work because my car's broken down, then I'm not going to be able to pay the rent at the end of the month. And I'm not going to be eat. I'm not going to be able to eat because I don't have any money. And then I'm going to be homeless and hungry. And I can't even live in my car because I can't go anywhere because it's broken down. I better go get an $80,000 loan to take out a loan for a big truck so I get to work every day, right? And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that, right? We make bad decisions when we're desperate. If you're single, and you're saying, man, I just don't know if I'm ever going to get married. I, I, better just, I better just go with this person. I know they're bad for me, but I, I, I better just go with this person. Otherwise, I'll never get married my whole life. We get desperate, right? We make bad decisions when we're desperate. Some of the people that I respect the most can look at a, at, at a situation, and, and it's just crazy. And everybody else is freaking out. And they go, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a pause. We're going to go to the Lord. We're going to ask him for his help with this. And then we're going to move forward. Some of the people I respect the most can do that. And I don't know about you, but in the midst of that situation, like I want to be that person, right? Like I want to be that person who can just say, all right, hey, we're going to take a pause. We're going to look at scripture. We're going to see what God says about this. And then we're going to move forward in a God honoring way. How do you do that? How do you do that in the midst of a desperate situation where everyone else is freaking out? How do you just look at it and go, okay, hey, we're going to be all right. 
Let's just go to God and we'll go from there. We'll move on from there. There's two people in this story that actually do that. They're in extremely desperate situations. The first one is a guy by the name of Jairus. He's a ruler of a synagogue. Today, we would probably, uh, if he worked at a church, we'd probably call him an executive pastor. The ruler of the synagogue didn't preach. He didn't teach. Uh, he was not a scribe or a Pharisee. He did the business of the synagogue. He would organize everyone. He'd organize the teacher. He'd organize the finances, the building maintenance, all of that stuff. He was the business side of the synagogue. He would rule over that. And people knew who this guy was. It's a very respectable position. And think about this guy's peers for just a moment. This guy rubbed shoulders with all of the top teachers, with all of the Pharisees, and with all of the scribes. This guy's got some pretty cool peers. But these guys don't necessarily like Jesus. The scribes and the Pharisees, they're like, I don't know about that guy. In fact, some really have it out for him. And so as we're taking a look here, it's interesting that Jairus, when his only daughter, who's 12 years old, let's, let's, let, let's just be honest, parents in the room today, if you have an only daughter, in fact, if you have any children who are dying, is there anything that you wouldn't do for your child's life? I mean, being a father, I can tell you there's nothing. If my kid was dying, I would do anything I possibly could to save him, right? I mean, that's, that's just what we're going to do. That's just as parents, that's what we're going to do. Jars is in an interesting situation because I'm sure that he's heard about this Jesus guy. He's heard about the miracles that he can do. And yet he has this connotation with him, right? Because of all of his peers, all of his coworkers would have kind of had it out for Jesus. And so he has an interesting dilemma. My daughter's dying. If I go to Jesus, he may save her, but... I'm kind of going to be an outcast. All my colleagues are going to debate me on this. All of my colleagues are not going to like that I've done this. But he could save my daughter's life. It's a desperate situation. So he ends up going to Jesus. Jesus says, okay, let's go. They start walking to their house. And then we have a story within a story. This is really interesting. This is the only time I feel like in all of the gospel accounts where this actually happens, where we actually have a story within another story. So we've got this woman who comes up. They're crowded. The streets would have been very narrow. There's this huge crowd around Jesus. Jar somehow gets in there, talks to him. They're on their way. And then all of a sudden, Jesus just stops. And he goes, hey, somebody touched me. And I love like Peter. He's standing next to him. And Peter's like, dude, everybody's touched. Look, it's crowded, man. Like, why are you even folks? And Jesus, no, 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 power left me. I need to know who touched me. And that's interesting. Jesus, I mean, he's God. He knows everything. He knows who would have touched him. But he's giving this woman a chance to step forward. This woman, scripture said, had a discharge of blood. She's been, that time of the month for ladies, she's been on that for 12 straight years. And although I don't have any personal experience with this, I am married to a woman, and I've heard that this is not the most comfortable situation in the world. Could you imagine this? Ladies, for 12 straight years, you're on your period. This is not a comfortable situation for this woman. She's in a desperate situation. Scripture tells us that she saw all the doctors that she could. She spent all of her life savings on this. And she was broke. No one could help her. And here's what we have to understand. Is that in her condition, she would be, have, uh, have been considered unclean. That she would not have been allowed in the city. That in that day, by Mosaic law, if an unclean person touched another person, that other person would then be unclean. So she's not allowed around people. 
Yet we find her in this giant crowd. Imagine the desperation that this woman would have had. She saw all the doctors that she possibly could. And she said, I'm sick of it. This guy might be able to help me. I'm going to do anything I possibly can. Three things I want to point out that these uh, people can teach us uh, when we find ourselves in a desperate situation. I want to, I want, and uh, it's interesting, uh, Jairus and this woman do very, very similar things. I, I want to point out to you, um, this is right at the beginning of the story, but it says that Jairus, uh, he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus's feet. Did you catch that? This is not a respectable thing. A respectable Jewish man would not have done this. And yet Jairus, he's desperate. He goes, man, I, Jesus, I, I, need you, I need you to come and take a look at my daughter. I, I, I'm doing everything I can. I need you, man. And then as Jesus is going, he perceives that power has left him. He perceives that someone has touched him. And this lady, she knows that she's no longer hidden. She comes forward and look at this. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, look at this, falling down before him. Now, they are both in the midst of a ton of people. And all of these people would have looked at them. I mean, Jars, they would have looked at him and go, hey, uh, aren't you kind of on like the other dude's team? Like, you're not, like, you're switching teams here? Like, all your colleagues, they don't like Jesus. Like, you're coming to him? And this lady, people would have looked at her and go, like, why are you here? You shouldn't be in this big crowd. You're going to make us all unclean. What are, you, what are you thinking here? Why are you here? And yet they both fall before Jesus' feet. It's a position where they go, hey, I, I, I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I worship you. I need you. I need your help. What do you do when you're desperate? Here's what I want you to do first. I think scripture is telling us that we need to go to Jesus despite culture, despite what everybody else is telling around us. Because I don't know about you, but when we find ourselves in these positions, it seems like everyone has an opinion, right? Oh, you know what? Let me tell you what you need to do. You need to do da 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 da, -da right? I mean, I mean, just everybody has an opinion. If you don't believe me, go to the comment section on Facebook, right? I mean, it is crazy. Everyone has their own opinion about what everybody else should be doing. And very rarely will that opinion be, you know what, I think you just need to spend some time in prayer. You know what, maybe you just need to go to Jesus and ask him for his help with that. And yet scripturally, what we see people doing is actually going before God and asking him for his help with this. Both in Jairus' situation and in the woman's, I mean, they should not have gone there. Culture would have said, hey, you, no, 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 you don't belong going to Jesus and yet, look at what they do. They fall before him. They don't just go to him. They don't just ask for his help. They fall before Jesus. People would have looked at them funny. People would have said, I don't know why you're doing this. And yet, they do it because they're desperate. And in a desperate situation, they make a good decision. They go to Jesus. You know, So many times, I feel like a lot of us are a little hesitant to do this. That uh, our natural reaction in a desperate situation is, well, I'm just going to work harder. I don't have enough money at the end of the month. All right, I'm just I, I got to work about uh, ten overtime shifts, and I'm I'm going to make it work. I'm I'm going to figure this out. Right? You have a relationship problem. All right, let's figure this out. We're going to do everything that we possibly can, and that's not bad. It's not bad to work hard, 
However, we have to trust in, in, in God for all of these situations and just acknowledge, hey, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I'm trusting that an all-powerful, all-merciful, all-good God is on my side here. And even if I don't get the outcome that I want, I'm still going to trust in him. And I'm still going to, in a real way, trust in him and tell people that. And just say, hey, I, I trust in God that he's got this situation. Not in a fake, trite way, right? But just simply saying, hey, God, this, this is yours. I'm, I'm handing this over to you and telling people that as well. That could be a real encouragement for people to just say, hey, you know what? I, I'm trusting in God here. I, you know, as people give you their opinions, you go, yeah, that, that's great. That, that may work. But ultimately, I'm putting this in God's hands. And so many of us are reluctant to do so. Jesus has some harsh words for people who are reluctant to do so. Just in the next chapter, take a look at what Jesus says. He says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. In fact, all three synoptic gospels give us a version of this. This is Matthew's version. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Mark puts it like this. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We cannot be too ashamed of Christ to go before him and to admit, yeah, I know I'm in a desperate situation. I know everyone has their own opinion, but I'm putting this in God's hands. And it doesn't mean that I'm not working towards fixing it. It doesn't mean that I'm doing nothing. It simply means at the end of the day, I recognize that my efforts are all futile unless I trust in God. Unless I simply go to him in this desperate situation. That's the first thing that I think that we learn from this story. Here's the second thing. It comes from actually Jairus's response or lack of response when Jesus is talking to this woman. I, I want you to put yourself in uh, Jairus's situation here as we read these couple of verses. Did you catch this in verse 45? It says, Jesus says, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touch me, for I perceive that the power has gone out from me. Imagine your jars in this situation. Like, you you finally get to, to Jesus. You're like, yes, thank you. Oh, I, there's so many crowds. Yes, I, I, I my daughter, oh, man, she's dying. I need your help. you, you got to come with me. And Jesus agrees. I mean, could you imagine the relief, right? Imagine, oh, yes, finally. Yes, okay, awesome. It's over this way. And you start walking, and then Jesus just takes a pause, and he goes, um, hey, did somebody touch me? Right? And you're like, what? What are you doing? My daughter is dying. Right? Like if I'm Jairus, I'm probably going mama bear on Jesus, picking him up over my shoulder and dragging him to my daughter. Right? Like I'm going to do anything I possibly can to get Jesus to my daughter. Look at what Jairus does. Nothing. We have no account of Jars doing anything. It's interesting. It's almost as if he's just in the background watching what's happening. Just going, oh, okay, well, Jesus got something else going on. Right? What is he doing? Why is he not freaking out here? And look at this. It says, while he was still speaking, so Jesus is still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came out and said, 
hey, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Think about this. I mean, if you're Jarus and you're like, all right, well, Jesus, he's got something going on right now. I'm just going to be patient here. And then somebody says, hey, dude, your daughter died. Jesus didn't get there fast enough. I mean, imagine you're him. Imagine the regret. Maybe he, he regretted. Maybe he was thinking, man, maybe I should have picked up Jesus and just started walking. Right? I mean, she's had that issue for 12 years. She could wait 12 more minutes, right? Like, I got to get my, my, my daughter healed here. Like, come on, Jesus. And yet, the Jarus, it doesn't seem like he's freaking out. In fact, Jesus turns to Jarus and says, hey, don't fear. Only believe. And she will be made well. That's interesting. It's interesting, Jesus' response here, he's just turning to Jairus. He goes, hey, it's going to be all right. You just believe in me. She'll be well. It's going to be all right. Now, if I'm Jairus inside, I'm freaking out. But Jesus is calming him. I think what essentially he's trying to get to Jairus is, not only do you trust me with your situation, but trust me with the timing as well. That when we're in the midst of a desperate situation, we got to trust in God's timing. And that's really difficult sometimes. You know, so many of us, we get in these situations and we go, man, it is of, of, it's dire. It is urgent, right? Like I need this done yesterday, right? Like I'm, I'm freaking out and I'm like, well, how long is this going to last? When, do I, when am I going to get some money here? When, when is this relationship going to look different? I'm just freaking out on the inside, right? And how often do we just simply go, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just trust that it's on God's timeline. Because ultimately, we remember that God is above time. He created time itself. 2 Peter 3.8 puts it like this. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. I mean, just remember that. When you're in the midst of a desperate situation, you're freaking out, and you're like, this has got to be fixed right now. Pause. I find that about 99.9% .9 of the stuff that we think needs to be done right now can actually wait. They can wait. And when we wait, when we wait on God and we just say, all right, God, I, I don't know what's happening here, but I trust in your timeline. When we wait on God, something happens within each and every one of us. Isaiah chapter 40 puts it like this. This is one of my favorite couple of verses in the whole Bible. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Look at this, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Think about that just for a moment. The, the actual uh, process of waiting on God is good for us. That it actually makes us stronger when we simply wait on God. It doesn't mean that we're not doing anything in the midst of that. It doesn't mean that not, we're not working towards anything. But it does mean we're simply trusting in Him and we're okay on His timeline. And we're saying, hey God, if you don't make this happen in the time that I want it to happen, it's okay because I'm trusting in you. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. When you're in the midst of a desperate situation and you are just freaking out on the inside and you're saying, man, I just need this to happen right now, right now, right now. God, where are you? I need this right now. I want you just to pause, take a deep breath and go, 
okay, I'm trusting in your timing. Because I believe that you are above time, God. And I don't fully understand that, right? Like each and every one of our brains are in time. Like we're stuck in time. God's above that though. He understands more than we could ever understand. And we need to simply be okay with his timing. And that may mean that we're going through really difficult situations for really long amounts of time. And it may mean that we don't really get what God's doing. And we don't really understand it. But we can be okay with that. It's okay not to understand what God's doing. Guess what? God is a big God. And he's a God who does things that we can never fully understand, right? And honestly, if he didn't do things like that, would he be God? God is so infinitely above us that there's no way we can fully understand all of his things and all the things that he's doing and all of his timing, right? Like there's just no way that we could understand that. And at some points we just got to say, I don't get this, but I know that you do, God, and you got this under control and I'm going to trust in your timing. Whether that comes to finances and you're saying, man, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm trusting in your time. Or maybe it's relationally and you're saying, man, I don't know how this is going to work out. There's just this strife in between me and and my spouse and I just don't know how this is going to work out. Or maybe it's career-wise and you're just saying, man, I don't know when this next job is going to happen, when this next promotion is going to happen. But you're saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to take a deep breath and keep working hard. I'm going to trust in God and I'm going to trust in His timing. I'm going to trust that He knows best. And I'm just going to keep on trucking along here. I'm going to keep on worshiping God and keep on glorifying Him with everything that I've got even in the midst of some weird timing things. Here's the last thing that I think that we have to understand about this story. Did you catch how many years this woman had had this ailment for? It was 12 years, right? How old was Jairus' daughter? 12 years, right? That's interesting. I don't think it's by coincidence that the Holy Spirit led Dr. Luke to include both of those details. So if that's the case, if it's not by coincidence, what does this mean then? What does 12 years have to do with anything involving this story? Scripturally, the number 12 is a big deal. Scripturally, this is how God sets things up. This is divine organization on God's part. Think about it. you got the 12 tribes of Israel, right? This is who God uh, uses to reach the entire world with. And he sets them up in 12 distinct tribes. Then when Jesus comes on the, on, on the scene here, he says, I'm going to pull in 12 disciples, 12 men going to walk around with me, and they're going to impact the world. 12. Now that's interesting. This woman has been ill for 12 years. Jairus' daughter, who's dying, is 12 years old. What is this? It's divine organization. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, hey, I've got a new system that I'm bringing in with me. I've got a new system that I'm coming along here. Think about it. Um, Jesus, in both of these instances, should have been made unclean. He should have been made unclean here. Think about it. If you had this woman here, this woman touched Jesus. She was unclean. Jesus should be unclean. And yet, this is one of the first instances in all of Scripture where we see things reversing, 
where cleanliness spreads instead of uncleanliness, right? Instead of this woman touching Jesus and both of them being made unclean, this woman touched Jesus and Jesus' cleanliness spread over the uncleanliness. The same thing happens with Jairus' daughter. Think about it. It says that scripture says that Jesus took the daughter by the hand. That means he's touching a dead body. That, by Mosaic law, is not okay. He should not have been doing that. That would have made him unclean. And yet, not the uncleanliness that spread. It was Jesus' cleanliness, Jesus' holiness, that spread to the daughter and brought her back to life. What is it that we have to understand about this story is that in the midst of desperation, in the midst of desperate situations, we have got to understand the new covenant. This new covenant that Jesus is bringing in here. No longer does the uncleanliness spread. It is the cleanliness. And it's all brought about by faith. Take a look in both of these instances. At the end, Jesus is saying to this woman, hey, you know what? Daughter, he's, man, he's so passionate. He's so, he's so loving towards her. He goes, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And look at this. The same thing after the guy shouts out, hey, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Jesus goes, hey, Jairus, don't fear. Only believe she will be made well. So what's the new covenant based on? It's based on what Jesus has done for us and our response to that, which is believing in faith. It's having faith. And no longer are we in this system of sacrificing this and saying things just in the right order and jumping through hoops over here, but it's simply by believing what Jesus has done for us. Take a look at the way that Hebrews puts it. It says this, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. The system that we now live in today after Jesus' death is better than the system than before Jesus' death. It says it right here in Hebrews. Jesus is the fulfillment of the old covenant and now we are under the new covenant, this new promise that we have that simply if we have faith in Christ, guess what? We are now saved. That's it. We just have to have faith. Just have to believe and just have to say, all right, God, you got me. You, you got my life. It's yours. Transform me from the inside out. And I'm going to do my best to build your kingdom here. Right? But it's no more hoops that we're jumping through. But so many of us were caught in this old system. Well, I better, better go to church. And I better say these perfect words. And I better be wearing my Sunday best. Otherwise, God would never hear me at all. Right? And so many of us get caught in this thing. So many of us get caught in this thing where we're going, man, does God really like me? Does God really love me? Does God really, does, does he really have salvation for me? Am I really saved? And we go, hey, hey, listen, all you have to do is have faith. All you have to do is believe and say, all right, God, my life is yours. Thank you for saving me. I'm sorry for the stuff I've done. Would you help me to change? Would you help me to be less like me and more like you. And you know what happens when that happens, when, when you can go through that process, when you truly understand what Jesus has done for us. When that happens, you get a supernatural sense of peace. Did you catch what Jesus said to the woman with the ailment? He goes, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. That in the midst 
of desperation, in the midst of crazy situations in your life, you can have peace. I don't know about you, but man, doesn't that sound good? That just sound like, man, yeah, I, I want that. I want that peace. When everybody else is freaking out and they're going, oh man, this is so urgent, we got to fix this and uh, things are crazy right now and oh, what are we going to do? Hold on, hold on. God's got this. He's died for us. He's got this under control. And the worst things that can happen here on earth are finite. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't work to correct them and do better and, and, and fix those things, but it does mean, hey, you know what? They will come to an end sometime. Scripture promises us Jesus is coming back. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth where things are perfect. The things broken here on earth don't have to freak us out. That's par for the course. We know those things are going to happen. We know things are, are just going to not work all the way, all the time, right? I mean, it's just, it just is what it is. But we don't have to freak out about it. We can simply go, okay, you know what, God, you've got this under control. You knew that was going to happen. God knew COVID was going to happen. God knew that the politics were going to happen the way that they were going to happen. God knew all of those things, right? We don't have to freak out. We can just simply go, all right, God's got this. God's got this. I'm trusting him. I'm going to him. Despite what everyone would tell us around us, we can just go to God. and We can have this supernatural sense of peace around us. Anyone here grow up in kind of a chaotic household? Maybe your parents, uh, as you were growing up, were just kind of this way. They're just kind of freaking out about everything, right? No, I don't know what we're going to do. Oh, everything's just freaking out. Think about how that affected you. Your natural tendency today probably is to freak out about everything, right? What if you changed your family tree? What if you said, hey, you know what? In the midst of these crazy situations, we're trusting God. We're going to God. And you know what? He's got this taken care of. Doesn't mean that our work stops. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't worry about anything, right? But it does mean ultimately, hey, we're going to God with it. And we're trusting him. And we're just putting all these worries in God's hands. And he's got it under control. Think about how that could change your family tree. Think about how that could affect your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. Think about that. Think about how you could be the catalyst to change generations of your family. You could do that. You could change people's lives around you by saying, hey, I'm not going to freak out. I know crazy things are happening. God's got this. Not in a fake way, not in a trite way, but in a way that is real. In a way that says, hey, you know what? I, I really believe that. I really believe God's got this under control. And it doesn't matter what happens in life. God is still in control and I'm still trusting him and I'm still trusting in his timing because I understand what he's done for us. I understand that he lived a perfect life and died a horrific sinner's death on my behalf. And then three days later, rose up giving me a new life in him. And all I have to do is simply have faith in that system. Jairus did it and this woman did it. And we could do it too. In the midst of a crazy situation, we don't have to make bad decisions. We don't have to freak out. 
We don't have to go out and do everything we possibly can to fix it. All we have to do simply is to go to God and say, all right, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I trust in you. And I trust in your timing. And I know everybody else around me has an opinion and everybody else is trying to tell me what to do. But God, I trust in you because you're in control. You are God. That'll change us. And that'll give you a supernatural sense of peace if you do that. And you can spread that peace to the people around you. You can invite people to have a relationship with Jesus. You can uh, show that to your kids, what this looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound good, guys? Like in the midst of horrible situations, you could be that person. You could be that person that people look to that's not freaking out. That says, hey, let's just go, let's just go to God. He's got this under control. He knew this was going to happen. So let's not freak out. Let's trust him. Let me pray for you. Jesus, again, we just thank you so much. We thank you that you are a good God. And we thank you that we don't have to freak out. God, that you have this under control. We thank you for that. We thank you for just the supernatural sense of peace that you've given each and every one of us if we go to you. As your word says, a peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you for what you've done for each and every one of us by dying on the cross. God, I pray that we would respond to you in faith, that we could come to you and that our insides wouldn't be all mixed around and we wouldn't freak it out, but God, that we could just simply go to you and trust you and trust in your timing and understand what it is that you've done for us. We love you, Jesus, because you first loved us. And we thank you for that. It's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.